There are five ministry offices given to the New Testament church after Jesus was crucified and taken into heaven after he arose from the crucifixion. Five ministry offices, and those offices given to the church are apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. That is what Jesus gave to the New Testament church to be ministers. You will read that in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11-12. There's no such thing given to the church as Pope, Cardinal, Archbishop, Vicar, or Ministry of Music. We have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Those are the ministries of the New Testament church. We also have some people put in the church to care for the church in the forms of gifts of help, governments. We read that in 1 Corinthians 12 at the end of the chapter. I'll turn to that. It's in verse 28. And God has set some in the church, basically to care for the church. First, apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. The spiritual gifts are given to the church. Those are listed in 1 Corinthians 12. Romans 12 also lists them. And various individuals can have the spiritual gifts. They don't have to be set in the church to care for the church, but they can have individual gifts such as word of knowledge, word of wisdom, tongues, interpretation, things like that. You'll read that in 1 Corinthians 12. But God has set some in the church to care for the church. None of which are the things the Catholic Church uses to identify ministers. None of which. Even priest is an incorrect identification. That is an Old Testament ministry. That is not a New Testament term for a minister who is set in the church to care for the church. In the New Testament, it is Ephesians 4, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. What does it matter? It matters a great deal. Because if you allow anything to be changed in the New Testament Bible, you have false doctrines come into the church and Antichrist moves in. So we need to be clear about these matters that pertain to the ministries. This man who wrote to me in November 2020 was not at all clear concerning his calling. He did repent from using the name Reverend and told me he agreed that he should not use the name Reverend. He said when you graduate from Bible class, they automatically tell you now you are to be called Reverend or you can call yourself Reverend. 
first time this subject ever came up with me was in approximately 1980. I had gone on radio, and this woman came to me and said to me, I'm a fan, a radio fan of yours. And she identified herself. She was a vice president at Braniff Airlines. She identified herself. We became friends. And she said to me, what do we call you, reverend? I was very shocked. That's the first time I'd ever even thought of the subject. And I replied, no, just call me Joan, like they call Paul, Paul. It was horrifying to me to think of being called reverend. I have had other men who called themselves reverend come across my path, and one of them said to me, the ministers where I live love to call themselves reverend. There's only one place in the Bible where it calls anyone reverend, and that is God. And it says, holy and reverend is God's name. A man should not call himself reverend. He should not allow people to call him reverend. You are either an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher if you are set in the body of Christ as a minister of Jesus Christ. There are also no identifying garments to be worn in the New Testament church. There's no such thing in the New Testament Bible as robes, hats, crosses around your neck, medallions. Some people wear colored scarves around their neck to identify themselves as a minister. There's no such thing as this. We as ministers have been given the Spirit of God. When we speak to the people, if they are of God, they'll recognize us. We don't have to wear outward garments to be recognized as a minister of God. I have never worn anything like that. And everywhere I've gone, in the early days, especially after I was born again, the churches I went to, the prayer group I went to, when I visited a church, people were always saying to me, we know the hand of God is upon you. How did they know that? They knew it because God gave me gifts of the Holy Spirit to speak to the church. He would give me a word of knowledge about some healing that needed to be done in the church. The first one I ever received was a stomach problem. He would give me words of wisdom. He also gave me a gift of exhortation to be able to speak to the church as well as write to the church. I received a letter from a pastor several years ago, and he said, I like the way you write. Well, that's because the Holy Spirit would dictate a subject to me, and I simply spoke the subject. I didn't plan out anything. I haven't actually planned out anything for you on this. There are certain scriptures I'll share with you and certain concepts, but what I do is I yield to God and share those things brought to my mind by God, 
and sometimes it'll be a scripture, and sometimes it will be a subject. But whatever it is, I try to yield to the Holy Spirit. This is how God taught me to do. Jesus said, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father who has sent me. I'm just quoting that because it's brought to my mind. It's not that I've memorized it, I've lived it. God taught me to do the same thing. He taught me to do what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I will look that one up. There's quite a bit to that. Some ministers try to make themselves attractive by telling clever stories, by enticing people through the flesh. And Paul said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul didn't come to them telling the name of the street Jesus walked on in Jerusalem or the olive garden where he frequented with his disciples. Those are fleshly things. Paul was determined to speak about Jesus and him crucified, which him crucified means the word of God. For the word of God is the power of God. So Paul says, For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So as you're speaking to a church group, If you just simply hear what the Holy Spirit brings to your mind and speak that, it will have power. It will do a work inside that church group. But if you plan out clever things to say, that has no power. And a great many ministers today speak by the flesh and not by the Spirit. They plan out clever things to entice you to them but it just doesn't have the power of God so Paul said my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men but in the power of God in 1 Corinthians 2 There is quite a lot of teaching about the Spirit of God and what the Spirit of God does. Jesus told the early disciples, Remain in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you, because then you would have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Well, it explains the Holy Spirit and the working of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul says, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God, the things brought to our mind by the Holy Spirit who lives in us, because the Holy Spirit searches the heart of God to bring to our mind what God wants us to say as ministers. 
and what God wants us to do as individuals. And Paul goes on at verse 9 and says, But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of men the things which God hath prepared for them that love him, but God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God which things we also speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. I have spoken many times to people who attend churches. Most of the time when I share something of God with those individuals, they just stare at me blankly. There is no enthusiasm whatsoever for what I have shared. They just look at me. They want to talk about things of this world. They don't want to hear about things of God. There was a Catholic woman who used to admire me greatly she would come to my house and I had done something to my house and she'd say oh that is really wonderful and I would say to her God showed me to do that for example I was driving down the street one day and I saw a pickup truck with a flatbed loaded with firewood I was looking at it and I was just thinking oh I would really like to have a wood-burning fireplace. And I clearly heard from the Spirit of God, you can have that. Never before had I considered changing my gas logs to wood-burning until I heard that word from God by His Spirit, you can have that. And then immediately I thought, well, I could. I could have wood-burning. I can have those gas logs taken out and use wood. So I arranged immediately to do that. When she saw what I had done, when this Catholic woman saw what I had done, she said, oh, I love this. And I said, well, it wasn't my idea. God showed me that I could do it, and I told her the story. She didn't delight in it at all. The next time we were at the bridge center, I played bridge in those days. I don't play anymore. But I played bridge in those days, and she was one of my partners. I heard her telling someone what I had done. Joan has changed her fireplace. She put, took those gas logs out and put wood burning in, and it's so nice. I went to where she was and where she was talking to the people, two or three people. I said, now... I didn't think of doing this. It was God who showed me to do it, and I related the story. Nobody wanted to hear what I said, and yet this woman, I guess, claims to be a Christian. She's a Catholic. 
I know the other woman was Church of Christ and one was Baptist, and nobody got excited about it, about what God did. They were excited about what I did. They were not born again. They weren't Christians. I don't care if they went to church. They weren't Christians. Christians are excited when they hear what God has done. Humans are excited when they hear stories of the cleverness of humans. Humans want to praise humans. Godly people want to praise God for what he does. Humans look at a mountain and think, oh, that mountain's wonderful. We look at a mountain and praise God thinking of the creation of the heaven and earth and what God did and how wonderful it was in what God created. We praise the creator. They praise the created. If you read Romans chapter 1, you will see that for this reason God turned them over to reprobate minds because they did not want to praise what God did. We had probably over 100 people at any given time at the Bridge Center, and almost everybody claimed to be a Christian. Methodists, Presbyterians, Baptists, lots of Church of Christ were at the Bridge Center. Catholics. I never found one person at the Bridge Center who delighted in the Word of God when I shared it with them. When I would share with them what God had done in my life, not one person delighted. Well, maybe the director of the Bridge Center delighted. She, her grandfather was a Baptist minister. And she did delight in it, I have to say. But I don't remember anyone else from the churches delighting in anything that I said when I shared what God had done with me, such as the fireplace in changing the wood. A great many people who call themselves ministers today have no idea what they are what they are, what their calling is, the office their calling is. It makes a huge difference. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, it's a huge difference between their offices. What does an apostle do? God showed me that apostles primarily work with church doctrine. What happens is the church has got the doctrine mixed up on divorce, remarriage. An apostle is going to take these scriptures and try to persuade the church on the subject of divorce remarriage or homosexuals and lesbians. The Bible is what the apostle will try to work in. Apostles are anointed to do this work. Prophets are going to bring correction to the individuals in the church and to the ministers. That happens all the time. All through the Bible we see prophets being sent to bring correction to the church, not to the world, to the church. Ezekiel chapter 3, God said to Ezekiel, I send you to the children of Israel. If I sent you to the world, they would listen to you. But the children of Israel will not listen to you because they will not listen to me. Nevertheless, go, go to them and be not dismayed at their looks. They won't hear what you're saying, but speak it anyway. Well, that's identical to what we do in the churches today as a prophet. 
One time I was in Clovis, New Mexico, USA, and was visiting with a couple of Baptist women. And one Baptist woman said to me, Joan, we have a woman at our church who is so opposed to the things pastor is doing. Pastor's getting ready to build a bigger church building. And she's so opposed. What do you think might be wrong with this woman? And out of my mouth came, maybe she's a prophet. Well, I was shocked. They were shocked. That was the Holy Spirit just bringing that out of my mouth. Because prophets are frequently shown evil that is being done by the pastors. And frequently being shown evil in the messages and what the TV and radio ministers are doing. It's not at all unusual for God to send a prophet to one of these pastors or to an individual. One time, there was a man at our church group who was the teacher of our Bible class. And one of the women said to him, he was a divorced man, and one of them said to him, it looks like Joan Boney is the kind of woman that you would want to marry. And he said, oh, no, I wouldn't want to marry her. She might see something that I was doing that was wrong. Well, it turned out he was doing a lot that was wrong because he was going out at night to the bars, picking up women and having sex with them, committing fornication. He was a Bible teacher at our church. Well, yes, I would would have been shown things that he was doing that were wrong. And in fact, I did. See, I did find out, I mean, sort of accidentally, but it was God who brought it to my attention, what he was doing. And I said to him, when I found out, I went to him, and I said to him, I hear you have a girlfriend. Tell me about this girlfriend. And he kind of was evasive. And I said, point blank, are you having sexual intercourse with this girlfriend? He said, of course. And I said, oh, you know the Bible as well as I do. I can't have anything to do with you anymore. I can't come to your Bible classes. I can't have anything to do with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And he said to me, that's right. He didn't care. He didn't care if I came. He didn't care. This was his private life, committing fornication. Our Bible teacher. It's a terrible thing. First Corinthians chapter 5, Paul said, I hear that there's fornication in the church. And such fornication as we haven't even seen before, that even the Gentiles don't do, that one would have his father's wife. He said, when, when you're gathered together and the power of God is with you, Put such a one away from you. Turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. That's in 1 Corinthians 5. Now that's not what the churches want to do. That's not what they did with Jimmy Swaggart when he was having sex with a prostitute and the Assembly of God Church found out about it. That's not what they did. They wanted to counsel Brother Swaggart and pray for him. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man 
that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such a one know not to eat. Don't keep company with them. Don't sit with them at church. Leave. Just leave. You may not have control to put them out of the church, but you can get out of it if they allow them in it. Them that are without, God judges. He judges the world. And Paul said, for we are to judge the church. And Paul said, therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. If a person calls himself a Christian and is committing fornication, that's a wicked person. So I told this Bible teacher, I said, I can't have anything more to do with you. You know the Bible as well as I do. And he said, that's right. He didn't care. So I never saw him again. I did communicate with him a time, I think, by letter. And he said, well, fornication is no more of a problem for me. And I thought he was telling me that his flesh had been destroyed. And that's exactly what Paul said. Put them away from you so that to turn them over to Satan. I believe we turn them over to Satan by putting him away from us. To deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. That's verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 5. And that's what I did concerning this man. I, ne I never saw him again. And I didn't talk to him by phone or anything. So concerning this man who didn't know whether he was a pastor or an evangelist, and he signed his letter one time pastor and the next time evangelist, I wrote to him. He's in another country. I wrote to him and told him, I said, well, you need to know what you are. As I understand pastor, they deal with one church usually and they they deal with the people who are supposedly born again and teach Bible to them teach the way of God to the people who are of God but an evangelist as I understand it travels about from city to city place to place speaking to the world to the unsaved speaking the doctrine of salvation through Jesus. But in the church itself, the gathering of the church itself, there would be, Paul said, how is it when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edify. That is in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14, verse 26. So, as I understand it, a pastor would be basically in one town with one church group, caring for those people in the church group, feeding them in the sense of feeding them the doctrines of the Bible to help them to go in the way of God. Whereas an evangelist will be speaking to the unsaved, and it's an entirely different message. 
So how can this man who signs his name pastor one time and evangelist the next time, how can he properly work in the church without knowing what he is? I think it would be very difficult. And I think it would confuse the church. I've seen men who started out, uh, Robert Tilton at Word of Faith, he started out at first as an evangelist. He and his wife out on the road as evangelists. And then he decided he was a pastor. So he started a church at Farmer's Branch, Texas as a pastor. And then he went off into radio ministry. And then he went off into really wild things. He got interested in television commercials and bringing money into his church that way. And he finally got exposed by ABC News, Primetime Live, as basically... Uh, terrible in the church and his offerings this is incredible but according to to Wikipedia his offerings changed from 80 million dollars a year that he was taking in with the things he was doing on television they changed to 2 million dollars a year which is still an awful lot of money and he was exposed before all and the last time I mean, Wikipedia gave this report that he tried to start a tele-evangelism group in Florida after he had been in Dallas, and then he finally ended up buying a hotel in Culver City, California. And that's all I know about him. But at one time, he was pastor of the church I attended. It is a terrible thing when a person is either fraudulent or turned over to a reprobate mind. We don't really know, unless God tells us, whether or not they were frauds to begin with and never called by God, or whether they were turned over to a reprobate mind. In Romans chapter 1, it talks about being turned over to a reprobate mind, that you could start out on fire for God, and then be turned over to a reprobate mind because you didn't keep the way of God in your knowledge is what it says in Romans 1. Romans 1, verse 28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. We had a woman in our church group who When she came to us, she was on fire for things of God. She wanted to hear about things from God. She stayed with us 39 years, and toward the end, she changed. Because when I would call her and talk to her, she didn't want to hear spiritual things. She wanted to talk about movies and television and books, things of the world but not things of God. When I would tell her something God had done, she would get deathly silent. She showed no enthusiasm whatsoever for the story of what God was doing. She just waited patiently until I finished talking, and then she started talking about some actor or actress that she had read about on the Internet. 
Eventually, she railed out at me and accused me of some things that weren't true that she had mixed up in her mind, and she left us. I believe she was turned over to a reprobate mind. So you could start out on fire and then lose it all. Jesus said in the end times this would happen. Matthew chapter 24 verse 12. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. But he who endures unto the end, the same shall be saved. If you delight in hearing about God and things of God and things God is doing, you're of God. If you just sit there and wait and hope the person will quit talking, you're probably not of God. Antichrist is all over. There are many Antichrists in the church. Even the Apostle John said in his time there were already many Antichrists. 1 John 2.18 Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not all of us. For had they been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Now today what's happened is this. By falling away in the church groups, church groups have fallen away from Scripture, and that lets Antichrist into the church. Antichrist comes into the church through these people who fall away from Scripture. And they take over and rule in the church. Now, Paul said this had to happen before Jesus returned. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Start at verse 3. Paul says, Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day of the Lord shall not come, except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. In 1982, I was reading this passage of Scripture, and God said to me, The falling away... Those are not people leaving the churches. Those are churches leaving the scripture. And that opens the door for Antichrist. So Paul says, For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. Churches will fall away from scripture and change doctrine from the Bible. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. He's revealed through the falling away who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So Antichrist has already come. The, the way has been made for the return of Jesus, because two things had to happen before the return of Jesus. 
Antichrist had to come into the churches. The apostasy had to take place first in the church. And then the gospel also had to be preached all over the world. And I think about how it has been with internet now. This message I'm recording right now will go all over the world. Immediately, instantly. The blog that I write goes all over the world. I believe these things have set the stage for the return of Jesus and the Great Tribulation and the end of this world. Thank you for allowing me to speak with you today.